Hi, good morning. Uh, my name is Aaron Carr. Today, I'm going to talk to you about culture cadence. Um, just a little bit on my background. I've been in the HR um, and HR technology space for the last nearly 20 years, helped uh, tens of thousands of companies uh, manage their HR systems um, and their internal operations. Um, and over that time period, I've been able to uh, uncover a few little gems around culture, um, what it is, what it's not, um, and then just a really simple system for meeting that allows you to maximize, you know, the your culture and create what you want and not just let it happen. So I call this culture cadence mainly just, just because what I have noticed uh, in my career is that companies just don't meet. Um, they don't have regular scheduled meetings. And when they do have meetings, there's no structure to those meetings. They, they don't really talk about anything um, of substance. So employees show up, they want to hear things, they don't hear them. Um, and then, you know, the, the attendance of those meetings just gets less and less and less until you've got a core group of 15, 20 people, maybe depending on the size of your company that show up, call it a percentage, 10 to 15% that show up. Um, it's the same people and they just want to hang out. So um, we're going to dive into this, uh, this topic and um, we'll, uh, we'll go from here. All right. So as I kind of, kind of stated, culture doesn't just happen. Culture is a buzzword right now. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody uh, is trying to drive their culture and uh, very few people know what it is. Um, it's this elusive thing, um, hard to pinpoint, you know, um, in the last 10 years, you know, kind of for a while they're boiled down to, hey, we do catered meals every day and we have a keg, um, you know, free drinks. And so th that's not the case. We all know that's not the case. Culture is a deeper, is kind of on a deeper level. And it's, it's the, it's how employees engage um, and sort of identify with with your company. So it doesn't just happen. You have to create moments. I call them moments, um, opportunities for your employees to really hear about the business from the people in the business. And then in those meetings, what they're doing is they're trying to connect with something. They're trying to align themselves to see if they align um, with the organization. And if they do, that's, that's when the magic happens. Um, that's when you've got people that are just driving towards these, you know, these goals, um, and, and really, really cool things start to happen. So you have to create the moments and then there's got to be a cadence to this. There's got to be, um, they've got to always be looking forward to the next meeting. So, you know, you can't have one awesome meeting and then, you know, oh, well, you know, we'll be back here in six months. So we're going to go into that. We're going to go into, you know, what I believe, you know, things that I've seen that have worked in the past. Um, and then also what you discuss. You don't want to just meet to meet. Um, you've got to uh, really dig into the business, to the goals, uh, the goals of the business, not just. Um, you know, maybe the employees watching their department, the, the overall goals. And so we'll talk about that as well. So how often is that? That's where we're going to start. So this is one of the, this is one of the biggest questions I get anytime I'm consulting with a company or just even honestly talking to friends that own businesses 
or our executives and businesses is how often should we talk? We don't want to be, I hear a lot, you know, we don't, we don't want to meet too often and our employees get tired of us, you know, or be like, oh gosh, they want to meet again. Um, so I think you're the safest bet is a monthly town hall. You know, these don't have to be super long. I think that's the other thing. People feel like, hell, we need to have a two-hour meeting and go through every detail. That's not the case. Um, monthly town hall for me, you know, where I've seen this work is just talk about the business. If you have monthly cycles in your business, um, you know, what's happening, goals, any anything you've achieved toward, towards a goal. If your company does quarterly rocks, where are you? Um, where are you in relation to the overall quarterly rock? What's going on? Word on the street. That's one of the things I always say. Hey, what's the word on the street? Let's talk about what's going on. What's going on in the industry? A lot of times I'll hear executives say they don't care about that. They don't care about that. They don't want to hear that. The, the financials are boring. That is not true. Um, it's it's never true, actually. Um, your employees want to know how the, the business is doing. They probably want to know more than you're telling them. Um, and so this monthly town hall, and I and I say too, if you if you're not doing this and you start, start small, do a 30-minute meeting, do it over Zoom, invite everybody, um, have them get on, go through a, a, a really simple agenda. And if you've got the guts, you can do a QA at the end. Um, I usually don't start those at first. Or I'll plant some questions, have somebody and say, hey, you know what, ask this because maybe everybody's afraid to or whatever, um, and try to create the atmosphere you're looking for. But monthly town hall um, doesn't have to be super detailed or really in-depth, but just talk about the business. If you're, if you're comfortable sharing you know, revenue, uh, things like that, your, your employees do care about it. Um, and then you know, obviously goals and things like that. When you, when the company and you as leadership can talk about the goals, your employees are calculating and they're, they're trying to figure out how what they do supports the overall company goals. That's where, when I say the magic happens, when your employees can align what they do every day, and it might be mundane, they might be in a call center, they might be, you know, it might be very, you know, transaction based, but if they can align what they're doing and they realize that what they do impacts that big goal, all of a sudden they've got alignment and then their engagement goes up. So these things are important. It's important to let them know what they are. I, I know that it's easy to not let everybody know what your goals are, you know, what the leadership team's goals are, because, hey, what if we miss it? Um, but we all miss these things sometimes. Um, and that kind of transparency, which is a word that I'll use throughout today, is really important now more than ever with the mix of generations we have. Uh, the second thing that I think is really important is a quarterly update. Um, and if, you know, quarterly rocks is something you'll hear me say just because I've spent time, a lot of time with EOS based businesses, but, you know, almost every business has some sort of quarterly cycle. Um, you've set goals on these cycles, you, you know, you're, you're viewing metrics in these cycles. And so, um, discussing quarterly goals that you've had financial performance, discuss next quarter's goals. What are we focusing on? I think it's really good to look back. Let's see how we did but then also get your organization focused on what's the next quarter look like, because you'll be surprised if you say, hey, 
you know, the top three goals that the leadership team has for Q2 is this, all of a sudden your people are going to get really creative around figuring out how they can help with those goals. Um, and so you're empowering people inside your organization to now support what you're doing. Um, and this is, you know, you can call it whatever you want, the momentum, the flywheel, you know, go back to good to great. That's how you get this momentum. That's how you get it going. You get everybody on the bus moving in this direction. And it's a, uh, it's a powerful thing. So quarterly updates are big. I think these can be longer. Um, they can be more detailed. Um, you can tell people, Hey, you know, if you want to pop in and out during an hour, hour and a half, that's fine. If you've got 15 minutes, jump in, jump in and see what it's about. Um, I would definitely suggest having a Q and a, if you can, um, and a safe way to do a Q and a, uh, is have everybody submit their questions to one place. That's not necessarily visible. Um, have them submit them to one of the people on your leadership team, let them go through, and you can always say, hey, you got a lot of great questions, got a lot of great questions. And if there's some that might be a little, you know, touchy and you don't want to get into, you know, you can always follow back up and just say, hey, you know what? We had a lot of questions. We couldn't get to it, but, you know, um, we'll get you an answer or whatever. So quarterly updates, big monthly town hall, quarterly update. Those are those are big. And then obviously annual. Um, most companies do this, do this anyway. But celebrate the wins and mourn the losses together. Again, these, these are, you are creating moments with your staff to come together, to win together, to lose together. It doesn't matter. The idea is that you're together. Um, you're bringing people, you know, everybody, you know, to one place to have discussion. Um, you know, what could we have done? Uh, you know, those kind of things. And some companies go real deep in this and they'll do postmortem. They'll do all kinds of, they'll do deep dives and things like that. But I think uh, an annual, annual update, an hour, again, I don't ever think you need to meet longer than, than an hour, really. Um, I, I just don't think you have to do that. Now, if you want to have, you know, meetings after the fact or, or more in-depth things, I think that's something you can do. But these three things, they, they seem really simple. Um, and they don't, they're, they're not new. This, these aren't new concepts. It's like anything else, you know, going to the gym to get fit is not a new concept, but the, the percentage of people that do it three, four or five days a week and stay in really great shape is pretty small. So, you know, you think about this as health for your organization, just do it. Just, just you know, it's going to be easy to push these meetings um, because regular, you know, regular business, you know, takes precedence. But if you can get yourself on a schedule with this, you will be surprised of the difference and the impact that it'll make. Um, the other thing I hear, so some of the things that I've seen in the past, company picnics, um, other events that you can have, those don't have to be business related. Quarterly uh, community service days, this is something that um, I actually helped a company with a few years ago where they just wanted to create opportunities every quarter to have a service day where they picked um, a place to volunteer and threw it out to their employees and they gave them four hours paid time to go do this um, together. Again, that word together. So, you know, the cadence for every company can be different. Um, 
you know, but I think a monthly town hall, a quarterly, you know, conversation and an annual, um, you know, deeper dive, if you can do it consistently, you will see uh, the impact. You will see your employees engaging more, asking more questions. Um, and it's it might be difficult at first. I think that's the one thing to know is you might create a little work from yourself at the beginning because they're it's for them, it's all new and it's going to be like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. You know, I didn't know that. I didn't know this. I didn't know. Oh, so it matters when I, you know, my hold time, my hold time does matter because of this or, you know, the number of calls I take per day, it, you know, it does impact something. Um, so they might, you know, all these light bulbs will go off and they might have a lot of questions. But once you get into a good uh, groove with this, um, you'll get through these meetings, you'll start to look forward to the meetings, um, you know, and it, it really does change the game. So that's the cadence, you know, questions I get a lot of times, you know, how much should we tell? Yeah, what should we talk about? Um, a lot of private, small, you know, smaller companies or growing companies, they don't want to divulge financials. They won't, you know, there's all these things. Um, I always say as much as you're willing to, as much as possible. The number one and the biggest word that I could give you all to impact culture is transparency. Employees know when you're hiding things or or when you don't want them to know something. And generally, they figure it out anyway. Um, I, I think about it from, you know, the standpoint of, hey, the more the more you give, the more you'll get. So the more you're willing to tell them and bring them into that inner circle, at least with the information, the more engaged they'll be. If it's a rough quarter, they're going to try to help. Um, and that's just, I have never seen a scenario. I've never seen a scenario where a company gave information, whether it be good or bad, and it negatively impacted, you know, a group or a group of people left because, oh gosh, we had a tough quarter. Um, I'll always remember this moment. It was 2008. It was when everything tanked. Um, and I was in a, I was in the payroll business. And back in those days, the payroll business was not profitable without the float. So the float, the interest revenue, because you're holding and, and, you know, if you've got a decent amount of companies, you're holding hundreds of millions of dollars that you're getting interest off of until payday. So that's the whole point. You pull two days early, you get the float and then, you know, um, you, you, you make the money and then you go and you fund, you know, the payrolls. So when 2008 happened, interest rates just dropped drastically. You know, I remember going into a town hall and they budgeted for the next year, a multi-million dollar loss for our company. And, you know, that first, the first response was fear. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? Um, but then once they talked through it and told us what they were going to do and how we needed to respond, man, everybody rallied together and they, we came out. I mean, we, we crushed it actually. Um, we beat the, we beat the budget. I think there was only one year where we had a, had a loss and we were back at it. So, you know, everybody got creative and, and helped. So I think be as transparent as you can. 
the more that you can, the more authentic you are. I say authentic because you've got a whole group of Gen Zers who, um, you know, honestly, I don't understand them either. Um, but everything is different for them. I, I mean, it is very feely and all those things. Um, and for even for me, where I'm a, it's business, get it done. You know, we don't we don't need to we don't need to feel about it. Let's just get it going. Let's just do it. They do. So this whole idea of being transparent and being open and honest, it means something. So, um, yeah, just a little just a little bonus for you. <laughs> um, so, again, this just kind of ties back with that transparency with the monthly quarterly meetings, explain the goals to them, how they can help. Let them be a part of the goal setting process um, if you can. That whole idea of that, that transparency, it just aligns with everything that I've already talked about. Uh, you know, bringing them in and being transparent makes all those meetings way more effective, um, which is just, you know, that that's just the way it is. It, it, and I've seen this time and time again. Um, that transparency will make a huge, huge difference um, with that. So, you know, I don't know, um, question wise, that that's kind of the. Yeah, the, I've, got some, I've got some questions for you. If you, if yeah, you sure. Uh, it, it, was, it was, uh, it was interesting. You call that cultural cadence and I've used this same, I don't know, call it methodology. Every time I actually joined a business and have for literally probably 12 years and I've always called it communication cadence, but, you know, um, managed very large teams in the past. And, you know, the old saying is they got to hear it seven times before it sinks in. And I don't know if you've ever taken any NLP training, but some people are audio, some are visual. So if somebody says, I see what you're saying, then they're visual. I hear you, they're audio. So you always got to constantly fine tune that and everything. So, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, one thing that you said as well was you talked a lot about culture and uh, another thing that, you know, I, I see a lot of owners actually point to and believe that is culture is when I walk into a company and they start to talk about Taco Tuesday and, you know, Chili Friday, right? And I get into the conversations and I, I try to help them understand that there's a difference between cultural versus climate. Climate is generally those sort of things. Culture is we have an open door versus closed door. We're formal versus informal. Um, how many times have you seen companies and business owners that truly understand the aspect of what culture is, I guess, what, what you just got out there, number one? And then number two, when you get into an environment where the culture is a little not where it wants to be and, and you know, the owner wants to change it, say, let's say they bring a couple of companies together as a merger. How do you go about actually affecting that culture and what sort of time does that actually take? Right. I yeah. know it doesn't turn on a dime. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think owners um, and companies, they get they've got a little bit of the flavor of each, you know, it's, you go into those companies and they, they have a potluck every week. And if you ask them, Hey, we're crushing culture. Yeah, um, yeah. But at the same time, their department heads don't really know what they're supposed to deliver or what the company's supposed to deliver um, as opposed to what their team is doing. There's no alignment between teams. 
There's no, you know, the, the communication's not good. So for me, you know, you, the, the words you used were good. The climate, how does it feel in the office? That matters. That's a big deal. So potlucks, um, you know, managers who walk around, you know, there was a whole book I read years and years ago that was just called management by walking around, be there, let them see you. Um, those things do matter when you want to supercharge a company and you really want a, a performance culture, you've got to align those top mission, vision, and values. They've got to be aligned all the way through. And the only way to do that again, is like you said, talk about them every month, every quarter, every year. So those things that we do are, are important, but they're not by themselves. I would say they're 10 to 15%. The, the other 80, 85% is the business yeah. and bringing everybody in and letting, connecting what they do every day to the overall vision of the company where it's going. Because when you do that, you're empowering them and all of a sudden their job m- means a whole lot more. Um, so I think that's important. When you're talking about, you know, cultures colliding, um, Number one, at the top level, leadership has got to decide who they're going to be. Yeah. There's nothing more probably frustrating to line level employees to talk to this leader and hear this thing and hear that leader and hear another thing. So getting that alignment on the leadership team level is number one. Because again, culture, like anything else, like most things in business, is top down. So the, the top level leaders have got to know, understand, and own it. And if they can all align themselves together and say, hey, this is this is who we are. You know, this the core values, it's it became one of those things where you know you put them on the wall. No one can really say what they are. Um, but if you really look at culture and you align all of those things, the idea is that you're hiring for those. So they start seeing them, they start seeing and hearing and feeling them when they apply to work for you. And they hear them all the way through and they get the nice little video from the CEO or the owner about what they really mean. And then when we, like anything else, those core values, when we go to make a decision as a business or when you have a department that needs to make a move, that's your that's what you balance your decisions against. And so, again, that that alignment. It's got to be focused, so it can't be, you know, we don't we can't have three sets of of core values. So, you know, once you get those aligned and you can actually use them to, to back up decisions and things like that, again, the seven times for your employees, when they come to you or when they have questions and you as a leader can always back up to that and say, Hey, you know what, you know, our, one of our core values is we get it done. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. All right. You figured out, or, you know, give me, don't come to me with complaints. It's one of the other ones. I used to say it all the time. Hey, don't just come to me with problems. Come to me with at least one or two solutions that we can talk through. Because if not, then you haven't done your your job. You haven't you haven't done anything. All you're doing is complaining. So, like you know, that's where that's why core values are really important, in my opinion. Because if they're well thought out for your specific business, you're always pushing back to those. Again, that creates alignment. That creates all this stuff so potlucks are important that stuff is it that does mean something um but the real thing is how do we align who we are 
and how do we show the line level employees how they impact it? And I think when you can do that, it's yeah. a game changer. Yeah. So, so Aaron, I've, I've got some, uh, some experience like in, in M&A and everything. And there was a business, I'll keep the names out of it, but it, it was interesting. This, this business out of uh, California, do about 40 million annually, basically outsource accounting is the best way to put it. And um, tons of money coming in, uh, highly funded, uh, all that good stuff. But, you know, they, they, they did not pay attention to culture. They would go out and acquire other accounting firms and et cetera, et cetera. And it just, it just got ugly. Uh, I haven't worked with them for several years. Um, they actually grew into a, a full-time position per se. Um, but I've heard at this point, they're actually, they're, you know, the company is struggling. Uh, the CEO has since st stepped down as the company is actually struggling to stay alive. And this is a company that was on Forbes and Inc. and everything and just taken off like a rocket ship. And, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of studies on cultural and the impacts and the importance of it during M&A and everything. A lot of business owners, you know, don't pay attention to that. And, and, and my point being is actually I'm now working with another company. Two companies have come together and one is formal and process driven uh, and not very transparent. The other is extremely pro, pro or extremely transparent, loosey goosey, forget process, have fun, family oriented, all of that. And it's a little bit of oil and water. And, um, you know, and they brought me in right when the deal was just about inked, right? And, uh, now they're seeing all these problems. And I keep pointing to them because they want to do some additional m and It's like, look, one of the top reasons that companies fail during M&A is they don't take into consideration culture, right? So, you know, that's at the forefront going forward for any other future transactions. But my question is, and what I'm doing is I'm working with the owners and I'm doing exactly that. I'm like, I, I've gotten them together. So the first step is we need to put on paper, what is our future culture, right? Is it open? Is it closed? Is it formal? Is it informal? Is it, you know, process driven or shoot from the hip? What does that actually look like? But my question to you is, that's the easy part for me to help them with, Right. The harder part is now, how do we get to that, actually that shining light and how much time and expectation should that be? I mean, my impression is that could be a couple of years journey, number one. Um, but, you know, what are some things that you would advise to start to make that shift? Now, so my thought process is get the owners and the leadership team on the same page and drive culture there and then let, lower it to the management level and right and help them understand here's the cultural driving with employees and and slowly you know just crawl walk run but i'd love your input on how to drive that culture so that they can you know be in a healthier spot and start to implement this cultural cadence that you talk about as well yeah you, you you nailed it. Um, they've got to figure it out first. I, I also think, you know, many times in the past, because I've been, you know, in the in the SaaS, you know, world, acquisitions happen all the time. And I've been many times, get some HR leadership to evaluate when you're going through your due diligence to evaluate the the companies you're looking to acquire, figure out what their culture is. Do they have one? Um, you you get this a lot in VC back companies. They feel a little soulless. You know, hey, we've got a five year burn. First two years, we're going to spend, 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 spend. 
Um, the net, we're going to take a year, year and a half to evaluate. And then we're cutting everything before we, you know, we refinance or sell. Yeah. Um, I worked for a Sequoia based company. I had a, a you know, exactly. Every, every eight weeks was a board meeting to just look at results. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and that's, you know, from the top, that's easy because you're focused on very specific things, but you know, if you really want to grow and you want to grow the right way, and, the, you know, the companies you acquire don't necessarily have to have your same culture. You just need to understand what you're dealing with so that you can approach them in a specific way. So, like, you know, first things first, like just like you said, get everybody on the same page as quickly as possible. And my thing is, is if you have to lock yourselves in a room for two days or go off site, figure that out, figure it out quick. Because then you can immediately start instituting that cadence, which is the only way you get there is meeting with everyone. And maybe you say, you know what, we're going to start out with our with our management teams. We're going to start out with director, manager level. We're going to start having these conversations with them. We're going to talk through what we as a leadership, a leadership team went through, and we're going to get their feedback. Because again, if you don't have that mid-level on board, you know, those though that level, usually not director level, but the management level, they're out there in the trenches, you know, in the foxholes with, with these guys. And if they don't buy in, you will know. Yeah. Um, because if they don't buy in, those teams, you're going to have the, well, they do that over there, but we do this. You know, you always hear those guys, you know, you know, with their chest, chest puffed out. And maybe their numbers are good, but their attitudes are horrible. So, you know, I think, again, you've got to let this trickle down. And it might take some time. But, again, the only way to do it is to get them on a cadence. And maybe you say for them – um, you know, it's weekly for a while. We say, hey, we're going to meet with the management teams and the director level teams weekly. We're going to discuss this. We're going to talk about it. We're going to start viewing our metrics in light of this, you know, new way of doing business for us and get that ingrained in them. And then maybe do a full, you know, a big presentation to the whole company and say, hey, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. This is how we do business. This is how you should approach decisions. And if you can do that, and keep that alignment, you know, I think then you'll be, I always say a good culture pushes out bad employees because if you acquire a company and maybe 80% of them, you know, drink the Kool-Aid and are on board that, that 20%, it is going to be obvious. Yeah. It will be obvious if you're doing your, you know, you're doing your meetings, you're, you're sticking to it. It'll, they generally will leave on their own. Yeah, uh, because they don't feel welcome and they shouldn't feel welcome. They should yeah. go because yeah. they don't align. So that's the beauty of when you get these things and these programs running. It will take care of a lot of the bad apples because they just can't survive. They yeah. can't they can't breathe. You know, they get suffocated, uh, you know, out. Yeah, it's it's interesting you bring that up. And, um, you know, there, there was there was a company I worked with boy, seven, eight years ago. Two owners were, were stuck in the business together after 12 years, realized that they hated each other. And one was a narcissist, literally. Like, like by what, what I can say, this is the first true person that I know definitively, this is a narcissist. And it was a very nasty, nasty environment. And went in there and slowly worked with obviously the good owner and created a migration plan to get rid of the other owner but there were these pockets of cancerous employees across the company that would, um, you know, that that would just everything was bad. They would they would 
you know, complain all the time, bitch around the water cooler, talk about how horrible the place was and all this. So just, I don't know if you've ever tried anything like this, but I found it was quite effective. I created this thing called uh, this the best of the best. I'm not a marketing guy, I create these names. And the best of the best was a quarterly event where obviously your top, you know, couple salespeople, anybody with top metrics would attend it. Uh, and then other groups that were not, you know, metrics driven specifically could be like, uh, I don't know, let's call it admin or something like that could be voted in. So, but I brought like the top 10 to 12 employees and they would sit down with me and I was the president COO of the business. And we'd go through things and we'd go through problems and we would actually come up with plans together. And I actually brought them into the boat and helped and had them help me solve these company problems. And then some of these town halls and quarterlies and everything, I had them actually get up and talk and talk about the good things that they were doing and the plans that they were creating to implement and, and all of that stuff. So it wasn't seen as leadership forcing. It was seen as my peers are creating these great ideas and driving up to the organization to create change. Because the, And one of the main reasons I did that is so bizarre human behavior that some of these cancerous employees, even when they're bad, if they would get terminated, these good employees will go, oh my God, they're firing all my friends. Yeah. You know, this guy's been here for three years. I can't believe we let him go. And they they did not understand that. They didn't understand that these people bring me down. So literally in some of these events, some of the people were sharing like, hey, look, all of us want to be, the, you know, bird, birds that flock together. Uh, what's the saying? <laughs> Something like that. Birds of a feather flock. Birds of a feather flock together, yes. And they started to have the conversations about driving culture and having the same core values and everything. And I, I found that, I mean, actually, that was one of the biggest sort of mechanisms I used to make cultural shifts and impacts was, go, you know, taking it from, hey, the man is going to create these ideas and force upon you versus, you know, my strategy was get all these other folks around the organization that are highly respected, not by just results, but by their peers to actually carry the flag and have the voice. And that, those are some ways that I saw real change. I don't know if yeah. you've ever seen yeah. that. Yeah, what you did, you know, we used to call those change, change agents back in the day, um, you know, where you basically are, you're finding people that are doing the jobs and you bring them in by committee and you start really hammering out details. Um, yeah. Or, you know, you have this pocket of success that you're like, oh my gosh, they're killing it. And you go and dive into that and figure out what it is. And yeah, I think it's exactly right. You know, I think there's another thing here that's that people don't talk about too. When you have that, those kind of those cells that are that are bad and just they're no good. You know, one of the things that I've always done is when I have a transition like this and there's obvious opposition, is I will come out and just say, Hey, you know what? This is where we're going. And these specific three behaviors are what I call cease and desist behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. And if I see them one time, it's done. Yeah. And I think a lot of people from an HR standpoint are scared of that. But most things with HR is what are the expectations and hasn't been clearly communicated. So if you come out and say, these things are not okay, this is what will happen if you do them. So I know that feels, yeah, that feels tough. But if you do those things, 
along with the things that you're talking about where, hey, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to get some people in the business. I'm going to bring them around. You know, that's, that's, you know, employees love that stuff because now their buddy is actually in your office and they're like, man, they're listening to us. Yeah. Oh gosh. You know, this is awesome. Um, they told us we did a really good job on this and then we're, I'm going to present the next thing. You know, those are your A players that are sitting out there that are your future leaders. You're bringing them in. So you're doing a lot of things with that. You're doing succession planning. You're doing career pathing. You're doing all these things. And it, at the end of the day, it's only helping you, yeah. you know, too. So there's a lot of good things that happen when you're willing to do that. But again, if you if you've got a if you've got a really poor culture, sometimes it's hard to get people to jump on board with that because they're not going to trust you. So you know a lot of it's building that trust and having those conversations. But yeah, no, I think it's dead on. I mean, you did two things. You, hey, this is no longer allowed. And all right, I'm going to grab some people in this business that are doing a really good job that are really smart, and I'm going to let them shine. I'm going to let them help navigate, and yeah. you always win. Well, and it's, and it's interesting, actually, in that same environment, they had like five salespeople and I fired their number one salesperson, never replaced them and sales results went up. And uh, the, the two owners came to me afterwards, after I terminated, I was like, this dude is cancer, brings the entire yeah, yeah. team down. I'm like, I can't believe you just fired our top guy. <laughs> they were they, they were just freaking out. And like I had that sales team high five in me. They're like, oh, and their performance went up. And we never, we never you felt gave, that. You gave them room. You gave them room to do their jobs, you know, because generally what you'll see with that, you'll have the one guy that's hoarded all the information, doesn't share anything with anyone, just as concerned about himself. And so what usually happens is that that person, those people are usually the ones who are like these guys can they these guys, you know, without me, this thing just tanks. And they'll yeah. say these things and they're just sort of passive aggressively bringing everyone down. And I always say this to anyone. I say this to myself. Guess what? This business goes on without you. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's like they'll implode. This will happen, and oh, that that you know, maybe they stub their their toe for a minute, but life moves on. The company survives, and you know, you've created an atmosphere that's the exact opposite of what you want to do. You can never take vacation. You never get to relax because everything starts and stops with you. So, you know, I, if people get sometimes people in those situations get this inflated view of themselves, um, but life always goes on and they, they always tend to make it. It's yeah. it, it tends to be OK. Yeah. So I, I'm a strong believer. You hit on transparency. I'm a strong believer in that. Um, it's 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 interesting when I've stepped into companies in the past, you know, typically the owners are very very, very nervous about that. Like, well, I don't want them to know my total revenues or net profit or gross profit or whatever, right? And they have some reason if they don't articulate it correctly and walk people down the path. But I literally, I I, I personally, like if I'm working in, I call the chaos industry, which is, you know, uh, construction, HVAC, stuff where uh, margins are great, sales are great, but we run around with our hair on fire sort of sort of company um i've seen like typically like if the if you know a lot of blue collar workers will go oh 
we're do, doing $10 million annually. Must be nice that Aaron's taking home 10 million a year, right? And they fail to understand that there's a lot of costs doing business. They don't subtract the headcount. They don't subtract all the vehicles, uh, the, the office, all of that. They have no idea. So, but what I've, you know, helped owners understand, and I'm curious on your perspective and um, if you have any examples of, of poor transparency to transparency, is help them understand that without transparency, that's what they think, right? So, so that right. you're the king sitting in the castle and um, they're just making a, a, a meaningless wage. They don't feel like they're actually a part of this team per se. I've never right. seen transparency work against me. Um, if done, yeah. so I, I was curious if you have any great, you know, good examples of that and some shifts that you've seen in behavior. Yeah. So, you know, that is the, that's typically like the number one thing, Hey, they're going to know how much money we make. And all of a sudden, you know, they're going to think, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, again, they, they're taking none of the risk. You right. know, so, you know, as an owner, you know, Hey, I, I started this company with me and I grew it to this. Um, but I do think again, being transparent, if you want to, if you're willing to show them bottom line and then, Hey, this is what, this is what we're doing with it. This is how we're investing back. So I think, you know, if you just showed top line and didn't give them anything else, it would be easy for them to their minds to wander. Um, Because also, you know, if you've got a if you've got a technician that makes forty five thousand dollars a year, uh, maybe didn't graduate high school, th they're not going to know how to think about this stuff. They're just going to start thinking all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh, well, he's making this. Well, no, not actually. If you actually looked at, you know, the PL, you'd see, hey, you know, we made 15%. And, you know, as a company, we put, you know, 10 back in. So, you know, I think to with that transparency, you also have to know your audience. You have to understand, hey, you know what, I'm going to present it in a way that um lets them know that we're doing well. Um and then this is what we're, yeah, I always think it's great when you go well, through financials and, and you say, too, right? This is what we're doing. Yeah, this is what we want security also. If right. Yeah. Open and vague. They don't know if you're doing well, if they have a job tomorrow, if they can buy gifts for their kids or not. Right. They need insights into we're winning. Is, is $10 million good or bad? I have no idea. We have 30 employees. So I, I don't know what, you know, what's going on. So if you can give them that, and then I, I do think, and this is, you know, this is messing with the purse strings a little bit, but I have never seen a company go wrong with tying performance to some type of, you know, the, the performance of the company to some sort of bonus, even if it's just a little bit. Yeah. Hey, the business did well, you're going to do well. Um, and this does not have to be big dollars at all. You would be surprised how how much a small percentage, you know, makes a difference. And I'll also say almost every even small business that I've consulted with does that. So I'm sure many of many of you all are already doing that. But present it in that way. Hey, when the company does well, you do well. Um, and so I, I just think. It's it's a fear that I understand, of course, but in most cases it's unfounded. Um, most people are really happy if they can count on their job, they can count on their wage, and they can take care of their family, especially in those spaces. Those many of those people don't expect 
to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. They want to make a good wage and they want to make, you know, I always say a big part of even culture is, is it fair? Are you, are you paying me a fair wage for a fair day's work and I can go home and feel good about it? That's to me, you know, I grew up, I always say, you know, I had, uh, I had a gray hair. I always caught, we joked. Yeah. He was my gray hair men- mentor for years and years and years. He was an executive at ADP um, just recently passed away, but you know, that was what him and I, that was one of the things he taught me. Is it a fair deal? Anytime he, he took me to several companies with him and he's always, you know, he'd always end up, we'd have a conversation about money and what it was he wanted me to do. And he'd look at me and say, is it a fair deal? And yeah. if it's a fair, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a fair deal. Yeah. You know, you know, just an, another question around cultural cadence. So I haven't seen these stats lately, but during the great resignation, I was seeing statistics when people were, you know, falling out of the workforce of employee engagement was, or lack of engagement was disengagement. There we go. Disengagement is 68, 69%, which is just amazing. If you think about that. So to put that in very simple terms, you have a hundred employees, 68 of them are disengaged so you're not getting the full production out of them right uh it's mind-boggling and scary but i was curious on your thoughts on having having a solid cultural impacts and the positive implications on employee engagement yeah i mean you think about it i I always the easiest way to look at this is look at it you know like a relationship if you don't ever communicate to your significant other what's going to happen you're going to disengage. They're going to disengage. And all of a sudden, we really don't know who each other are. Yeah. Yeah. We're not we're not aligned. Um, you know, we don't know. We don't know what the kids schedules are. We don't know anything. We're we're but we're we're two different people, you know, just kind of hanging out. So I think it's the same thing. The, these companies that experienced this. Obviously, the last few years with COVID and all kinds of things, it threw everything you know it basically exposed any weakness you had in this area so the companies that that did well through this are the ones that met more often they started upping their interactions because hey maybe they're not in you know they're not in person interactions anymore right so maybe we need to have them a little more frequently and we can have them on zoom because we don't want to lose sight of each other so i think honestly these the the beauty of getting a cadence in place is that you can ramp it up or down whenever you want to. We're used to it. We know how to do it. You cannot believe how many companies just didn't even know how to have a large scale virtual meeting. No clue, like where to even start. So I think that again, even with things like this, maybe you're an in-person, maybe you're an in-person company, but throw in a, throw in a virtual meeting. They're having them with all of their customers, probably. So I, I think it just exposed a lot of areas, companies that that I think really struggled were ones that really weren't close to their employees anyway. And then you throw that dynamic into it. Now, all of a sudden, I'm looking for any other pasture. It doesn't have to be greener. It just has to be other. Like I just, you know, because they didn't know how they were, how they were doing in the company. They didn't know how the company was doing. Now, all of a sudden, you know, everyone's hair is on fire. Everything is fear, uncertainty, doubt. And it just really, um, it exasperated a lot of 
already negative feelings. I don't think the ones, I don't think any companies that had good cadence of culture, had a good culture and everything. I don't think there was probably any of those that all of a sudden drastically went to 68%. Yeah. Maybe they were at 10% and they went to 12. Yeah. Just by the nature of what it was. But I think these are things that if you get them installed now and you stick with it, that these are the things that help you against those crazy things like the great resignation. It's nuts. Just yeah. Kind of nuts. yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, COVID taught us a lot. And, you know, I, I've always been taught that your greatest strength is also your greatest weaknesses and if this analogy works or whatever. But I've always been told in business, uh, you know, one of Ken's greatest strengths is he's extremely direct. One of Ken's ba- biggest weaknesses is he's extremely direct. Right? So, you know, I shocked the heck out of people. And it was interesting. If you look at COVID for decades, you know, I, I forget the exact order because it would switch up every once in a while. But there was the old saying that people leave managers and not companies. And it always be, you know, number one for decades was your manager is number one. And then, you know, tools and things that you were provided to do your job, uh, clear expectations, uh, career path, and generally money was four or five, right? But until COVID, like literally, one of the first times ever that I recall seeing money flip to number one, One. right? And it put every employer on their heels where, you know, you know, and and, and I'm curious of your assessment of that, but mine is because the employees looked at it, they go, there is no culture here. The only reason I'm here is to make money. So why do I care about this anymore? Right? I might as well make as much money as I can somewhere else. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, because I already don't have a culture. It already yeah. doesn't exist. So I'm, yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think it exposed. That's what happened. And then you had what you what you also saw was like literally employees would have and and it's it wasn't true. So that that was the mindset and that's what they used. And then they moved four jobs in a year. Yeah. Because it really wasn't true. Because really deep down, they're still searching for the culture. They're like, what I really need. It's like it's the difference what I need and what I want. Yeah. You know, it's like I I want more money, but what I really need is a place that I feel like I belong. Yeah. And that I make a difference. And so that's what the great resignation really is. It's everybody that's searching. They're just, they're going boom, 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 boom. They're all over the place. They don't know. And so they keep moving around trying to make more money. And some of these wages have inflated to crazy, you know, again, the same companies now that are doing mass layoffs for the ones offering people a hundred percent more than what they were making for a job. Um, so it, it really, it got really kind of crazy for a little while, but look, if you can, if you can create a good environment that, you know, aligns an employee's passion or gives them, makes them feel at home in a place doing even a menial type job. And they feel like they're, they're uh, fairly um, compensated for it. And you stay in front of them. I mean, that, that will stand the test of all of this stuff because what also happened a lot people were at a company with an okay culture. They left for more money and they went back. Gotcha. The percent, I can't remember, I, I read it, the percentage of that, but I know even in my own network on LinkedIn, which is a few thousand people, 
I saw people leave and go back. It's interesting. They were out there. They thought they needed to maximize this moment in time that they could maybe make make more money than they ever thought they could. They did it and they realized, uh, yeah. And they went back. Yeah. They went back home. It's like moving back home. So it was like, I do think that there was some interruptions there, but overall the companies that had this type of cadence and had this type of culture are still winning. They're still winning. Well, uh, you know, listen, I mean, I I know that 99% of our time has been spent around cultural cadence and everything, but you know, you, you interview a ton of people being in HR, interacted with a ton of people. I I have through my career, I, I joke with people and tell people it's like, I've never counted, but I, I bet you it's a it's at least a thousand people I've hired or fired. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, but if you, as you're interviewing someone coming into your business, right, and trying to fit them into your culture and your cultural cadence, I mean, what would you say that number one like um, tip is for interviewing a new hire? If you would leave, you know, every business owner. You know, um, you know, and a lot of the business owners, by the way, that we work with are 20, 30 million and below. A lot of these guys and gals, you know, have, have the only experience they have is with their own company. Right. So a lot of times they're not even great at interviewing or leadership or things of that nature, which is why they come to us. But if you would give them one takeaway, you know, on top interviewing hip, uh, tip for a new hire, what would you do? What would you advise, Aaron? I I would say focus on behavior. Um, You know, it's interviewing is one of those things. I always, I I even still today say it's a crapshoot. You've got a 50-50 shot. It it is just tough. But focus on the the employee's past behavior, how they left places, why they left them. Um, And... I think if you focus more on that and you find the alignment and, and again, not to sound like a typical HR guy, go back to those core values. Does their past behavior align with your core values? Because look, most of us can teach. We can teach the job. I see people constantly get caught up on, oh, well, they don't have any industry experience. Yeah, forget that. But, but yeah, but if you go find somebody and I always called it fire in the belly, Somebody that's ready to go, that's excited, excited about your company. They want they they looked up your company and they decided I would apply for a job with you. If you can focus on that past behavior and that stuff aligns, train them, train them. Um, I, I get I get feedback from people all the time that they went and they they decided there was one employee that they come back to and they're like, I was just on a call yesterday with somebody that I was like my goodness, this is the per- the perfect personality. It's perfect. She- she's it. You know, and I followed up with a company and I said, Hey, this is a winner for you. Like it's a winner. And you know, the feedback is always, well, we want to find three or four people to, you know, good luck. Good luck. You can try, you can keep this going for another four to six weeks and try to find, you know, a few to compare. And I get wanting to compare, but in four to six weeks, this one's gone. Yeah. So focus on that behavior, on that feeling of the, the interactions. Give them questions based on your core values that they don't know what you're doing. And if you focus in on there, 
a core value fit you can train and they'll be somebody that will hang out at your company for a lot longer than someone that just has the knowledge because those guys, you know, if they've just got the knowledge, great. Yeah. But they don't fit. They're not going to last. There'll be a 12 year, you know, turn and then you're, you're looking again. So, yeah. Listen, Aaron, I appreciate your time. Very insightful. Um, and, and going through all of this, I really appreciate it. And I uh, can't wait to spend more time with you next Wednesday. Yeah. Really Sounds great good. stuff. Thank you.